Hey everyone, welcome to the Horror Geek Podcast from HorrorGeekLife.com. I'm your host, Melissa, and joining me again this week is Matt, who now has a new article on Horror Geek Life. So I guess you're officially a Horror Geek Life writer. I am. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Uh, You have a wonderful team that I'm just over the moon to be a part of. First off, we're going to talk about your article here in a minute, but before we do, how are you and are you ready for Halloween? I'm doing great. I'll probably have to work, but yeah, Halloween is pretty much year long in my house, so I'm always ready for the season. I celebrate horror all the time, obviously. I have this publication, (laughs) but I really lean on Halloween and people ask, what are you dressing up as or what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm going to be in my sweats on my couch and I'm going to pass out candy and watch some movies. I'm pretty lame these days, even before the pandemic, but I'm still ready for Halloween. So you wrote your first article and you covered 13 comics that every horror fan should read. You had some awesome titles, um, some of which I have, some of which I still need to pick up. But if you had to recommend just one of those titles for our listeners, what would it be? I'd have to go with John Lee's Sink, especially issue number 10. If you have to pick one, that series It's got such a variety. I mean, it's all horror for the most part in some way or the other, but there's so much comedy and heart that are in the stories as well. You can't go wrong with anything with John Lee's name on it. Out of the 13, I'd have to recommend Sync. Sync number 10 will never let you look at Bumblebees the same way again. (laughs) You are 100% correct. It's a great issue and great recommendation. If anyone else wants to see the rest of the 12 titles that Matt recommends, um, you can check that out now. And you also have another one coming up, right? Yes, I'm currently about halfway done with it right now. It should be out here sooner than later, for sure. Okay, so as of last night, I finished all of the Treehouse of Horror episodes of The Simpsons. So Disney Plus actually has them all grouped together. So it's really easy just to get in there and binge them all. Man, I have to tell you, as a huge Simpsons fan, from beginning to end, the difference in quality and humor and even horror is just unbelievable. You know, I know it's kind of a trend to jump on, you know, the newer Simpsons episodes and talk badly about them. There are some gems in there because I've been watching the whole series. There is just such a difference between the beginning and the end. I'm a huge fan of all the the old Simpsons stuff. And I have seen a few good ones in the newer seasons, but I definitely don't pay as much attention to it as I used to. It's really easy to forget them now. And I You know, I kind of noticed that there's a point in the middle of The Simpsons where they start trying to compete with Family Guy. Right. I know they did a crossover and Simpsons even has some parodies of Family Guy. But, you know, they put that kind of really crude humor in that just feels really forced with The Simpsons. It feels natural with Family Guy because Family Guy is really raunchy from the start. You know, Simpsons always just had more heart to it and it just doesn't work. There's also like this point where the Treehouse of Horror really goes from horror into fantasy. Yeah. And at one point, I kept thinking, how many times can I see an Avatar parody? (laughs) I mean... (laughs) 
I barely even remember the movie. I don't need this many parodies on The Simpsons. And of course, they have Twilight and Harry Potter, you know, and that's fine because they've always been about pop culture references. Right. It gets more pop culture and fantasy than horror. And it just really made me miss the old stuff. Yeah, I can definitely see why. Let me ask you, Matt, it's really hard to narrow down like your all time favorite because I could probably have a list of like 17 segments that are my favorite. <laughs> right. <laughs> but if you had to name a few memorable ones for you, what would they be? I thought about this for quite a while, actually, probably too hard. I'm deciding on the Treehouse of Horrors, the third one. Just because all three segments are really high quality, all three are some that I could definitely add to like a top list. And it has the Killer Krusty doll one, and then it goes into uh, King Homer, where Homer's King Kong, and then it's got a zombie tale to wrap up the episode for the third segment. Like all three of those segments are all my favorite. That's the one I would go with. I think that the third and in season five, which is Part four, it's kind of confusing there, but uh, Treehouse of Horror 4, I think those two episodes are the most solid, cohesive episodes. Treehouse of Horror 4 has Devil and Homer Simpson, where he sells his soul for the donut, Terror at Five and a Half Feet, and uh, Bart Simpson's Dracula. Yeah. Those two episodes, man, those two years were just, oh, they were just stellar. They were amazing. With the King Homer, that's actually one of my favorite segments overall. <laughs> There's a quote from that segment that replays in my head, like randomly all year long. And it smithers when he says, I think women and semen don't mix. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Burns just says, we know what you think. I, yeah. I don't know why, that just lives in my head. So, Yeah, that whole segment is pretty stellar. Yes, those two episodes as a whole are definitely all six segments are on my must watch list. You know, another segment, though, that doesn't really get talked about as often, but I really love it. It's one of my favorites. And that's Night of the Dolphin. Mm -hmm. And it's from season 12. And it's when, you know, it's a parody of Day of the Dolphin and the birds. And it's where Lisa does like a free willy, you know, release of a dolphin. And... uh <laughs> They plot revenge against Springfield and end up making everyone go to sea while they live on land. And I, I love that. I love that it ends with like a bloated, dead, crusty like, <laughs> floating in the ocean. Yes. <laughs> but man, I mean, even up to season 12, they were great. And a few, you know, seasons beyond that. But then it just loses its steam, I guess. But I ended that last night. I finished it. I was really proud of myself for watching all of them. <laughs> Because uh, there were a few musical episodes that made me almost turn it off. But mm -hmm. I just had to mention. So we're not going to do news this episode because this is our Halloween episode. We're going to have some Halloween fun here. And we have another episode coming on a regular day, which is going to be on Monday. So I just wanted to have some fun Halloween Q&A. So first off, if you were going to a desert island until next Halloween and you could only take one Halloween candy, what would it be? Like I knew my answer right away, which would be Reese's because they're just awesome. And I'm not really big into candy to begin with, but I can eat Reese's like anytime. So mine would also be Reese's, but 
I don't understand how a Reese's that looks like a pumpkin or a Christmas tree tastes like 10,000 times better than just the normal <laughs> Reese's. Right. Right. I don't understand that either. Maybe it's like the more peanut butter. I don't know, but oh man, load me up with those Reese's pumpkins, please. Is there a candy that you would just not want to get stuck with for the next year until Halloween? Yes, and it's my mom's favorite candy for whatever god-awful reason. And it's Smarties. It's like chewing on barely-flavored pieces of chalk. Like, I would starve because I would, I'd refuse to eat them. You know, I think that mine, I now that they, for whatever reason, make peeps for Halloween, they make like ghost peeps. It would have to be peeps, man. I would be miserable having to eat that. And um, one of our writers, Steven, who has been on a prior episode, he actually did snacks that are awesome for Halloween. And he has <laughs> peeps on there. But, um, you know, I would just save them, I guess, and then get them all to Steven at the end of my one-year term. Yes, <laughs> so, I would do the same. So same Desert Island, you're sitting there with your Reese's for the next year, and you get to hear your favorite Halloween time song. What are you going to hear? It's going to be uh, Halloween by the Misfits. Oh, very good choice. I think that mine, it would have to be Surfing Dead by the Cramps. Very nice choice. I could list that whole soundtrack just all day. Um, yes. But I could definitely get down to that. So, I mean, I'm sure by like six months in, like I wouldn't <laughs> be dancing as much anymore. Right. <laughs> but considering that I'm living off of Reese's pumpkins, I might be. So I don't know. Okay. So now you're on your desert island and all you have around you are Smarties and Peeps. What song would be playing? And this, of course, would be the song that you would never want to bring to your desert island. But what song is playing? I don't know. I wouldn't make it very long because I wouldn't be eating, but um so I wouldn't have to en- <laughs> I wouldn't have to endure the song for too long. And this is going to be an unpopular opinion, I believe, but I think I'd get really sick of hearing Monster Mash. See myself getting tired of hearing it very quickly. And I'm a big fan of the song, but I only need to hear it once. <laughs> mine as I'm sitting there with my peeps and I'd be really angry that I'm with this candy that I just hate. (laughs) So mine would be, I want candy. I would really get tired of that song. Yeah. I think every time I'd hear like the da, 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 I would just like lose my mind. (laughs) (laughs) I'd pay to see that actually, even for just a few hours. Yes, I'm hoping there's no uh, hidden cameras on this desert island because it would not be pretty as I'm hearing that song blast from the palm trees and having to eat peeps out of necessity. So, yeah. We need to make this happen. A new reality show pitch. Why not? Yes, right? yes. So for this episode, there are four days left until Halloween. Right. And everyone is doing their 31 days of Halloween. Everyone is, you know, binging horror this entire month. So, Matt, what I asked you for this episode is what are the four films you're going to watch over the next four days to lead up to Halloween and then on Halloween? We're going to go through your four films that you plan on watching. We'll also go through my four films. Yes. Let's just talk about them and why they are on our list. Sounds great. 
The first one is your pick. And actually, I did this by release date, but it worked out really well because they're going to alternate <laughs> between yours and mine. It, it worked out perfect. Yes, that is perfect. So the first one, and there's not one movie on your list that I can disagree with, by the way. <laughs> that is Phantasm 1979, which is such a classic. Yes. Why did you pick Phantasm? I'm a big fan of the entire franchise. Uh, I know some people have gripes with certain films in it. The original one for me, it was a film I remember seeing very young. It was one of the first ones that I actually watched like all the way through. It's such a unique horror film. There's not really anything else like it. It's very surreal. A lot of dream sequences, and you you don't really quite know what's happening and what's not happening, and you don't really know at the end either. There's lots of imagination that can go into these films because it's kind of almost you choose what you think is going on most of the time. I've always loved that about this franchise and especially about the first film. I'm a big fan of Angus Grimm, the tall man. There's also a very original and there's no other villain like him in any other horror films. So I'm just a huge fan of this movie. I watch it every year. I, I think that the cemetery setting and the funeral home is a really effective setting. It's more of the first half of the film that really gets to me because it's just so suspenseful. And you have no idea like what's really going on. Exactly. You're not prepared either, I think, for what's going on. <laughs> and Angus Scrim, he is wonderful as, you know, RIP, by the way, he is wonderful as the tall man. I had the pleasure of meeting him the year before he passed away. And he came into this con and he had he was in a wheelchair. He had a blanket on his legs and you know, he, he just looked so frail and, and sweet. And he had a really long line, as you can imagine. Right. But every single person he took time with. And when it was my turn to get up there, you know, I, I thought, okay, there's a lot of people. I'm just going to, you know, my anxiety is taking over. Like, here you go. Just sign this and I'll be on my way. And he says, wait, 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 wait. And he pats the seat next to him. And I sit next to him and he puts his hand on top of my hand and he just pats it, you know, like a grandfather would. Right. He pats my hand and he asks me, so tell me, how are you? And what are, what are your days like? You know, do you here in Dallas, what are your days like? And I thought, really? <laughs> <And> so <laughs> I almost started crying. I had to hold it back. And I'm telling him about my life. I mean, I don't even remember what I told him. Probably very <laughs> mundane things, you know, but... <laughs> That he just, he listened and patted my hand the whole time. And it was one of the best experiences of my life as a horror fan. And um, he passed away the next year and that hit me. Yeah. Watching those films now, you know, after that experience makes me love them even more. I mean, he's just such a wonderful person. And man, he was scary <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> yeah, that's an awesome story. Yeah, it still gets to me when I think about it. But I think why he makes such an awesome villain is it's like he's like the epitome of death. You know, mm -hmm. like he is death, like he's lurking. And this kid has experienced death in his life. And or I guess both kids, you know, him and his brother. Mm -hmm. He's just there and he can pop up anywhere. But what do you think makes him such an effective villain? The mystery of him is the scariest part about him to me, because you don't know what he is. First, you, you don't know if he's even a man or not, and then you find out that he is something else. The mystery for me is what always made him scary, because it's like uh, Michael on the first Halloween. You don't know. 
And I think that that makes a way more effective villain than knowing everything about them. You know, Phantasm, it's like, it's not underrated, but at the same time, it feels underrated. Agreed. Excellent choice. Thank you. My first on the list was The Changeling in 1980. I love ghost stories. I love haunted houses. It's my favorite subgenre in horror. This is like a grown-up ghost story. It's a grown-up haunted house story. Right. Of course, George C. Scott, who I could gush over (laughs) this entire episode. (laughs) Yes, we both could. Yes, I'm a huge Exorcist 3 fan. That would actually have made the list if we hadn't already talked about that one. This film is great, but if George C. Scott wasn't in it, I think it would be a completely different film. Pretty much applies to all films he's in. He's just such a commanding presence. You know, what's really great about him in this is that he does silence really well. Yes. He is really good at letting you know what is going on in his head just by his face. Mm -hmm. And I love that. But I also love that seance scene. Yes. Holy crap. Terrifying. Mm -hmm. Absolutely terrifying. I think this is a great watch for Halloween because you will be scared. You'll be entertained. So here's the funny thing about this. Mm-hmm. is I actually didn't know that the writer, whose name is Russell Hunter, mm-hmm. he actually claims that all of this happened to him in a house in Denver. There's a lot of big claims that he makes through his story. They do not check out. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. some of it, you know, maybe, and then maybe he embellished, but either way, it made for a really great film. Yeah, while I was reading through some of his claims, some of it definitely sounded uh, a little hokey. I believe he claimed that uh, when they were tearing the place down, the walls exploded and killed someone operating like a a bulldozer. It's just like, (laughs) man, I can, you know, believe your haunted house story, but you're grasping at straws here towards the end, buddy. Pro tip, if you're going to have a haunted house story, make it one that people cannot, you know, look up (laughs) records for because some poor man dying by exploding windows on a bulldozer, I think it's just kind of easy to check out and also finding the bones of a boy under a house. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it it really is like identical to the film. So it's a pretty fun read to think, you know, to read about that. And I think the Denver Public Library has that on their site. It's definitely worth checking out. Okay, so the next film on your list is also a 1980 film, and it stars screen queen Jamie Lee Curtis. It does. Prom Night. Yes. Why did you pick this one? It's just one of my favorite films of all time. I really like the uh, trashier side of slasher cinema, and there's just so much great about this film that fits into that category. (laughs) There's lots of amazing dance scenes that prove why people in the 80s shouldn't be dancing in film. My favorite character pretty much of all horror films ever is Slick. And his death sequence, him and his girlfriend's death sequence is just one of the most hilarious and amazing scenes I have to admit that on the bad desert island where like I'm surrounded in peeps and stuff, it would be my hell to have this soundtrack playing nonstop for a year. <laughs> I couldn't do it. <laughs> it is disco fever. It very much is. I am not here for it. <laughs> so, 
Um, and it definitely has some amazing dancing that just, I, I kind of like want to turn away from the screen because I'm cringing, but I have to watch at the same time. With the Prom Night series, I actually saw part two first. Mm-hmm. It came on TV, I think, when I was like in fourth grade, which was way too young to see that movie, <laughs> yes. by the way. Um, yeah. and on top of nudity, it also has a girl trying to like, you know, bang her dad. She's possessed, at least, but my fourth grade mind, you know, watching right. this was just kind of, okay. But yeah, so Mary Lou, or Hello Mary Lou Prom Night 2 was my first entry in the prom night and actually almost made my list, but I recently watched it. So the next film on my list is one of my all-time favorites. It's actually my number two favorite film, and that is Reanimator from 1985. I chose this one. It was actually Stuart Gordon's first first feature that he ever directed. And they did it in 16 days on a small budget. So given that he's a first-time director, 16 days, a small budget, and one of the goriest and most memorable horror films of all time is amazing to me. And Brian Yesna was a producer on that. He's mm-hmm. like a hero to me. And I actually interviewed him a few years ago at a film festival. And I thought I was just going to talk about Reanimator for like a straight hour. <laughs> Somehow I ended up talking to him about Reanimator for a minute. And then we talked about the dentist for like 25 minutes. So. <laughs> Um, I even look back on my interview for this episode to think, okay, well, maybe he told me something in there that I want to mention, but I'm like, oh, S, like it's all the dentist. <laughs> <laughs> There's only so much Corbin Burnson one can take. At the end of our interview, he goes, hey, do you want me to choke you? <laughs> <laughs> red carpet and uh, the the film organizers they took pictures i've never seen the pictures so i still always say i need to hunt those down because i've never seen them but it was like amazing (laughs) that sounds amazing but you know they're such a great team together this film really shouldn't have worked if you look back at the production of it it should be a mess yes same thing with return of the living dead you know that came out at the same year you look back at the production of that i mean these two films should have been like forgotten history by now (laughs) and instead they're both just you know must watches and cult films it's one of those that never gets old it's a classic for a reason i've always been a fan of yuzna and gordon and also lovecraft i've loved this one since i can remember because i also saw it at a very young age way before I should have seen it, especially with the Barbara Crampton scene. I still have trouble watching that scene. But, you know, Barbara Crampton, man, she is a brave actress. Mm -hmm. She has said before, and I think it was actually related to this movie, she has said before, if it's for the film and it works for the film, I'm going to do it. And I love that about her. Agreed. And uh, there there may have been a time when I had fluorescent green hair uh, because of this movie. So... That was a thing. (laughs) Not surprised in the least. I mean, I have teal right now, so I guess it's not too surprising. But (laughs) yes, it actually glowed in the dark as well. (laughs) (laughs) So the next one on your list, Matt, is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2 from 1986, which is also a Toby Hooper film. And I mean, this is like one of your all-time favorites, right? This is my all-time favorite. And why is that? 
it is just completely not what the first film was. This movie is off the wall. It just never slows down. It's full of just outrageous moments. It's got amazing effects from Savini. We get the introduction of Bill Mosley and Dennis Hopper. And Caroline Williams. Yes, yes. Let me tell you something. Stretch is underrated as a final girl. Agreed. She's great in this film. And I don't ever hear her mentioned on like the final girl lists or anything like that. So I agree wholeheartedly that she's very underrated. I mean, she even had to endure Leatherface being horny over her. <laughs> yes, that that radio station scene where he basically finishes in his pants with the chainsaw and then does... <laughs> Does that little dance, man? I just crack up every time I see that. I think my favorite scene, the shopping for chainsaws scene, because it just feels so out of place and unnecessary. <laughs> and him dual wielding these chainsaws and just basically slapping them against a tree. You just think of the icon that Dennis Hopper is as an actor. And I have no idea what compelled him to make this movie, but I'm so glad that he did. Like weird things put my OCD or anxiety into overdrive a little bit. And that scene does because I just want to grab him and be like, stop it. Like, just <laughs> cut the effing tree. Like, stop slapping it. And it just goes on for a long time, it feels like. And I'm it just does. like, oh my God, stop. <laughs> <laughs> so good. This film is straight up insanity in the best way. I was born in Oklahoma, but I came to Texas at a really young age. So I've been in Dallas, Fort Worth my whole life. Mm -hmm. And as you're watching this film, if you're an outsider, uh, not a Texan, and you're watching this film, you're thinking, oh my God, Toby Hooper, why did you put so many freaking Texas references? The guys in the beginning, they have, you know, native Texan bumper sticker. You see uh, fluorescent signs in the shape of Texas. You, you just see Texas references everywhere. And the thing is, it's not fake. Like, that's us. <laughs> <laughs> that is what we do. And whenever you watch it as a Texan, I feel absurd because I'm like, yeah, like I see native Texan bumper stickers, those exact bumper stickers. I can walk into Walmart down the street and buy that bumper sticker. <laughs> I see them everywhere. They're on cars all the time. And we are really that proud of our state. I went to a hotel near my mom. She lives here in Texas. I went to a hotel near her house and waffles in the morning, down at breakfast, and they were Texas shaped waffles. Like this is just what we do. If you ever watch this film and you think there's way too much Texas in there, like he's just kind of forcing it down your throat, he probably didn't even like plan any of that. It was probably <laughs> already there. <laughs> so the next movie on my list is just the ultimate monster movie, especially if you're an 80s kid. And that is Monster Squad from 1987. And of course, that's Fred Decker. I chose this one because I watch it every single year. I have the VHS, I have the Blu-ray, I have, you know, just multiple copies of it. It really was like my gateway to horror. But at the same time, it has a lot of horror elements to it. Like there's a lot of moments in it that were actually pretty scary. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's Goonies with monsters, but we actually get like one of the best werewolf scenes, you know, in horror. Yes. Werewolf scenes are really hard to do. You know, you don't see it happen very often. But of course, there is an amazing FX team that was on this. They pretty much reimagined the Universal Monsters. And Stan Winston uh, worked on this film and it was just fantastic. But yeah, there's a lot of great horror moments. And for me as a kid, this was a super influential film. What do you think about this one, Matt? And do you have a favorite monster? I love this film. I saw it as a kid as well. As far as my favorite monster, it's always Frankenstein, the gentle giant. I love his portrayal in this film. The funny thing about this movie is I saw it when I was really young and then I didn't see it again for a long time, probably until I was 16 or 17. And I could have swore and would have bet any amount of money that Val Kilmer was in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be like, yeah, Val Kilmer's in it, and he's really young, and that was completely untrue. Anyone from my past that watched this movie purely based on uh, hoping Val Kilmer was in it, I apologize. Yeah, I mean, he was making, like, Top Gun around this time, so I don't think he was a squad member. He should have been. He should have been the (laughs) Iceman. Another little bit of horror with this that I always just found terrifying were actually the Brides of Dracula. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. When they start coming out and then they're walking down the street and their gowns are flowing. Oh, I had nightmares about that as a kid. Like, I would have dreams of them walking down my hallway towards my bedroom. That's creepy. It is. Yeah. I, I think that they're absolutely terrifying. Now, I will say that there was a remake that was talked about. It was actually announced in 2010. And uh, Michael Bay's Platinum Dunes, surprise, surprise, was going to produce that. And that was canceled in 2014. And I am not even mad that that was canceled. Yeah, I'm not either. Not in the least. I guess with horror fans, it's such a cliche for us to go. That doesn't need to be made. You know, that still works. But (laughs) damn it, it does. And it doesn't need to be made. So (laughs) I'm hoping that's passed on and done. So the next one is really the most serious and the darkest movie on this list. And this was one of yours, Mm -hmm. one of two feature films directed by Bill Paxton. And it was actually the first one, though. Uh, But that is Frailty in 2001. Matt, what made you pick this one? I remember seeing the trailer for this and just being completely drawn in just from that. And then finding out that Bill Paxton had written and directed it. Um, I was already a huge Bill Paxton fan. Paxton is great in this film. Uh, We get strong performances from Powers Booth and Matthew McConaughey as well. Both of the children are phenomenal. Like you said, it's way more serious in tone than any other film on this list i think it's just brutal at times and it's basically just a family diving into mental illness it's just really deep rooted and dark and i love this film yeah you know what's interesting is bill paxton you know made this film and there were even scenes involving you know the young boy that was hard for him he plays the dad he says god is telling him who to kill And he teaches his sons how to do the same thing. I really liked that you didn't know if it was really, you know, these people were evil and Mm -hmm. they should have been killed. Or is the dad just extremely mentally ill? Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the twist ending at the end. We won't go into that just in case someone hasn't seen it. But it's an underrated gem and it needs to be seen. It needs some more love. 
great choice on that one. And we just have one more film. That is Hell House LLC from 2015. I will admit that the title of this, um, I thought this is going to not be great. (laughs) Right. I thought the same. But let me tell you, man, this is freaking scary. It actually takes place on Halloween or during the Halloween time. Mm -hmm. So it's a great watch for Halloween. And this group, they go into an abandoned hotel and they're going to make it into this haunt. And it's a found footage. It documents how 15 haunt goers ended up dying. The ending is really fun. It has a total twist ending as well (laughs) that I won't spoil just in case. Did this film get to you? There's a couple scenes that were genuinely creepy. A specific scene I think that got to me the most was this character from the film, Paul. He wakes up and he's like the one that films everything. You know, you have to have that guy and found footage films. So he wakes up and turns the camera on and unbeknownst to him, there's like what you think is this dead lady like slumped against his wall. And so he's groggy, turns around and sees it. And immediately hides under his covers. From there, we get him like peeking out from under the blanket. And there's just these subtle pieces of movement that you see her doing that was as she gets closer and closer that really got to me. The thing that this movie does really well, it does some subtle horror in really effective ways. Agreed. Um, But then, of course, I am not too scared of clowns. Yeah. But holy F, these clowns. Yes. The main haunt is in a basement Mm -hmm. and just seeing this clown at the bottom of the basement stairs. And they say, you know, who put this here? I don't know. I don't know. And it's just staring at you and you can't tell if it's a freestanding clown prop or if it's someone in a clown. Oh my God. It just, wow. Like I think if I also had a fear of clowns, I would have just fainted. Clowns don't bother me whatsoever, but this film made them very scary. They are. I think clown horror is really hard to do. Yes. This film does it. It does Mm -hmm. it very well because they're not like silly clowns. Yeah. They're part of the haunted house attraction. Right. So this is actually a trilogy. If you watch them all, which the last time I watched these, I actually did that. I will say that three, it loses its steam. It's kind of silly. You kind of go, okay, really? You know, you're you're like rolling your eyes. But like, I feel like it didn't really know how to finish the trilogy on a scary note because there had already been so much horror. Like, what else can you put out there? So Mm -hmm. they just kind of said, okay, this is what we're going to do. Sit down and watch them all. It's a fun trilogy. Um, You're going to be scared in the first film and then into the second. And then you're kind of going, okay, you know, but there's still some scares to be had in the rest of it. So I definitely recommend the entire trilogy, but Hell House LLC, the first one is definitely the one that I will be watching this week. And I'm excited. Um, Have you seen the sequels? I've seen the second one. I have not seen the third. And uh, just based off of your description, I'm not sad about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you need to though, because it does finish out the story. From seeing the second one, you can tell they're definitely setting it up for more. I'm sure I'll I'll end up finishing it. Yeah, you definitely should. And um, yeah, so that's it. Those are our movies that we're going to watch. Which one are you going to watch first? I'll probably watch Frailty. It's been probably longer since I've seen that than any of the other ones. So I'll start off with that one tonight. Great choice. I am actually starting with Monster Squad. 
Very excited. And then which one are you holding out for for Halloween? I'll probably go with Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, just since it's my favorite. I will be watching The Changeling. I have to end on a serious, scary film. A great choice. So that's our Halloween episode. And thank you, Matt, for joining me on that. And I can't wait to get your follow-up horror comics list and see the 10 titles that you have for everybody. Thank you again. I'll have that list out as soon as possible. Can't wait for you to see it. I can't wait. So thank you everyone for joining us on this Halloween edition of the Horror Geek Podcast. Be sure to follow or subscribe if you enjoyed the show and connect with us on social media at Horror Geek Life. And I'm at Horror Geek Mel on Instagram. Until next week. Bye. <laughs>